Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. So today for you, I have another really real, authentic guest who shares his life story with us, really, of ups and of real downs that led you to the point where he is now bringing all his learning, his experience and his insights to this podcast table. His name is Matt Lesser and he had just published a book called Unsatisfied When Less Is More. And when I read about the book and then I started to read the book, it resonated with me so strongly because here's the question for you that I asked myself at this point. What really drives me? When is enough good enough? What else is it I need to achieve, I need to do, I need to have in order to feel really, really content? And I was actually seeking out support from a coach the other week to start working through some very personal challenges. And the challenge is I have been rather successful over the last years. And not everybody who decides to step out of corporate and to run their own business, in particular in the coaching space, says, that's the case. Yeah, I've been immediately successful. And I'm not saying that because I'm showing off. I'm saying it because I realized that success must some mean something different to me. It's not about having more. It is not about, in particular, having more money in the account and being known out there for my insights into leadership. What I really realized is that I like to have this inner feeling of content, of satisfaction. And I started to figure out how to get that and what's really important to me and how I can structure my life slightly differently in order to feel exactly that more often. Now, Matt has written a book about that because he has spent time in the corporate world developing and supporting leaders uh, in those businesses he worked in, but also friends of his, clients of his, that found themselves in the same place and that said things like, only if I get to the next level, I will be happy. Only if I earn this kind of amount of money and get bonus X, then I will feel better about myself. Only once I have some work-life balance, things will feel better and will get better. When does it ever stop? When are we going to focus on what's here and now and really realizing what drives us and what, what makes us happy, as fluffy as it sounds? And that's what Matt and I are going to be talking about today. And he brings a beautiful um, model into the game about flourishing and how can we feel more often thriving and, and truly flourishing. But he also shares a really sad story, really, about his own life that triggered him to make some very significant changes. But let me tell you a little bit more about Matt. So he's the founder and CEO of Uniquely Normal. And Uniquely Normal exists to equip, train, 
empower and release leaders to build engaged and excited teams through empathy, empowerment and excellence. And all of these traits and skills that I've just highlighted is something you will hear and see in Matt. He has had the honor of training leaders, teams and boards in over 40 countries over the past 20 years. And prior to launching Uniquely Normal, Matt owned and operated businesses and served in several C-suite roles across various industries. I cannot wait to share this episode with you. So without any further ado, let's dive right into it. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I have enjoyed speaking to Matt. Hello, Matt. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Kathleen. I've very much been looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, we just had to chat about it's uh, five o'clock in the afternoon somewhere. Actually, we should have a good drink here and then the fun conversation. But Matt has been very reasonable and said no too early here while I am. Um, so let's yes, unfortunately, but I, I have coffee. But uh, unfortunately, it's uh, it's just straight coffee. I, I thought about putting in uh, a little something to make our conversation a little more lively. <laughs> um, but uh, but I still have to work today, and it's only ten a.m. here. So I I, I felt uh, I felt th I, I thought the wiser of that. So that's fair enough. And you know what? I promise you, you won't need anything in your coffee to have a lively conversation with me. That's one guarantee that. I'm going to give you. Well, welcome to the show. We have quite a few topics to talk about, a few topics that I want you to talk about with me here today. Okay. And that will add so much value to the listeners as well. And after we have been chatting initially, I ordered your book, your first oh. book. I know the second one is in the making. The yes. name is Unsatisfied. And I ordered it for two reasons. One reason was I felt immediately drawn to the title. Now, I hope that the regular listeners know I'm not a frustrated, unsatisfied person as such. Mm -hmm. I have had my ups and downs over the last years, though, as well. I'm like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Where am I heading? Mm -hmm. Am I spending yeah. the energy in the right places? And so on and so forth. The main topic that really resonated with me was the subtitle, and that is when less is more. Mm. For the first time, I'm finding myself in a place where I say, hmm, am I actually trying to dial down a little bit on the hours I'm working? Am I trying to dial down a little bit on the money I'm making mm -hmm. uh, in order to be more present, in order to, I don't know, learn some or explore some new hobbies, whatever it is. And came to loads of questions. One of them, well, do I have to dial down the one in order to achieve the other? And so on and so forth. So I became my own coach and I still am on this topic. The second reason why I bought it was obviously I wanted to learn a bit more about you. Mm. And what I want to say right away, and then I hand over the microphone to you, is thank you so much for writing this really raw and vulnerable piece of, of a wonderful book with so much honesty and openness, and as I said, vulnerability from your side, and so many golden top tips and experiences that you share with the readers. Um, so thank you. Thank you. What drove you to write the book? Let the audience know. Man, you, uh, you're not kidding. This, you dive right in, don't you? So, yeah. um, no, that's a, that's a, uh, it's a great question. It's a fair question, and it's a question that I, I get quite a bit. And I would say that the uh, the book really came out of years of thinking about writing a book. It came out of personal experiences. It came out of personal hurts and pains, starting, quite frankly, when I was in my teenage years. 
And so as I look back on my life, I would describe the way this book came that was born was uh, a culmination of um, the, the the experiences in my life, both good and not so good, painful and and joyous, quite frankly. And it got to the point that I started thinking about writing this book about 10 years ago. And I didn't really get serious about it until about five years ago. Uh, really, it, it be, I had this the model that's in the book, the flourishing life model. Five years ago is the first time I thought about that model. And um, literally, I was on an, I was on a plane. Uh, I, I can't remember if I was either going to East Africa or from. Doesn't really matter. But that was the first time that this idea of this model came together. And so I remember sketching it out in one of my notebooks and and literally for the next three years, I played with that model and tried to refine it and try to figure out, okay, which, what are the words and, and what do the words mean? And how is this applied to writing a book? And, and then uh, at the same time, I literally began saying, okay, God, I, I don't want to write a book. I really don't. I don't want to write this book because mm -hmm. I know how difficult it is to write a book. I know how much more difficult it is to get it published. And I know how much more difficult than that it is to sell it. And so I really, I don't want to write this book. And literally, Kathleen, every time I, I prayed to not write this book, I got more clarity. And so literally, I stopped praying about it because I didn't want to write the book. And every time I prayed, I got more clarity. And so I stopped, I stopped praying about it, so thinking, okay, that'll, that'll solve that. If, uh, if God can't talk to me about it, I can't write the book. And uh, But little did I know that uh, there was another plan involved. And so in uh, February of 2021, I started my, I literally wrote the, uh, the introduction to the book and the, uh, the genesis of the book really came from, uh, years of, of working with leaders, uh, leadership teams, uh, both domestically in the U S and then internationally, uh, Europe and Africa in particular, and seeing a similar pattern. You know, I, I kept hearing a similar story. And when you hear the same story over and over again, it's just something to pay attention to. And so for me, it became, okay, there's a pattern here. And the pattern became this. Usually it was owner founders of businesses that had grown it to a certain level. And uh, they, had, they had come to a place in their life and their career and their business growth where they start looking around and saying, this is it. This is what I have sacrificed. And when they say sacrifice, usually that means they've sacrificed their families their marriages, their kids, uh, free time, vacations, whatever it might be. And now they're at a stage where their kids may be ready to, um, you know, maybe in high school, may be ready to go down to university, uh, whatever it might be. And they're beginning to realize, wait a minute here, I've missed all this uh, because I have spent most of my life invested in this business yeah. so that I could produce things like discretionary income, have nice vacations, have nice vehicles, have a nice home, have a bigger home, have a second home, whatever it might be. And they're looking around saying, I thought it would be different. I thought I would be satisfied. And here I am, usually in my 50s, usually these people were in their, these leaders were in their 50s saying, I can't believe that this is it. And there was this real sense of dissatisfaction, of unsatisfaction in their lives and when I was in the private equity world, those were the conversations, those were the businesses that I actually started looking for because those were the ones that they wanted out. They wanted out because they wanted to try to right the wrongs, um, their perceived wrongs, if you will, uh, especially with their families. And 
literally, I heard that story over and over and over again. And at the same time, I was at my fifties. I was in my, I was in my forties and now I'm almost 50, but I was at a similar stage, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, trying to, you know, uh, reach the the point of success, make more money and all this stuff. And, and I was at a similar point of saying, wait a minute here, is this really what life's about? Really? You know, I'm spending all this time traveling away from my own family and missing them and and for what for for more money for a bigger title for a better position and so there was this collision of story and really it was out of that that i uh that was out of that heart in the, the those stories of my own life and then these people that i i grew to i grew to love i really did you know I had so many of these leaders leadership teams are amazing people just amazing people and I, I could literally feel their hurt, their pain. Yeah. And um, it's like, okay, I, I got to write about this. And so that's that's how the book came to be. Thank you so much for, for sharing it. And if you don't mind, let's explore throughout this conversation a little bit more about how you have noticed that this is what you're currently living for. So what were the signals and so on and then how you have shifted it. A lot of it you explain in the book. However, not everybody here has yet purchased the book. I say yet. Yeah. So that would be would be brilliant. What did those leaders notice about themselves? What were those signals that they didn't really feel content at this moment? You know, I, I think that uh, for each person, there was probably a, a little bit different uh, catalyst, if you will, or a mm-hmm. different signal. But the the common theme that I, I picked up on is I talked with these leaders, I interviewed them, I, I spoke with them. It was this overwhelming sense. Um, it was like this this gut sense of, I can't believe that this is it. You know, it was this, I, I, I call it this deep-seated disappointment in life. Thinking that, okay, if I, you know, when you're young and you're, you're excited and you're driven and, you know, you're willing to basically say, okay, I'm all in on this and I'm gung ho and I'm all or none and let's go, let's build this thing. Let's build it as big as I can. And, you know, and I'm doing this, you know, and I heard this a lot, you know, I I'm doing this for my loved ones. I'm doing this for my family, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to work all these hours and I'm going to sacrifice and uh, because I want my kids, I want my family to have, you know, what either what I didn't have growing up. Or I want them to have uh, all the things in life that that life can offer, mm-hmm. only to realize that 15, 20, 25, 30 years later, they're looking themselves in the mirror saying, that was a big lie. More is not better. More is actually less. Mm-hmm. More just leads to more frustration. It leads to temporary happiness, but it leads to no joy. And, and I heard that story over and over again, where they'd they'd have a they'd have a wonderful year, and they celebrated for you know a moment, and then it was right back to the rat race, and they just got tired, and and that's what I picked up on was this overwhelming sense of just being tired, being exhausted, and being disillusioned, and, and I think that maybe the root of it is that you didn't necessarily ask this question, so I'll, but I'll go ahead and answer the maybe the next question. I think the root could be is that they didn't fully understand their why, their personal why. Why are they here on this planet? Why are they here at this time of history? What's their purpose in life? And and that was probably the biggest distinguisher between people that I that I worked with, that I talked with, that were either uh, disillusioned, dissatisfied, unsatisfied with life, and those who weren't. Those who could clearly delineate and, and define their personal why and their purpose in life, they had a much different story to tell. 
Yeah, I, I was just about to play devil's advocate, basically, and to say, so when is more more? Under which circumstances can you say, you know what? I I work a lot. I love it. Yeah. I earn a good chunk of money. I'm feeling all right, right? It doesn't have to be necessarily that you are in a successful leadership role and you feel drained and kind of right. like a bit meh. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, one of the criticisms that I that I I've gotten in the book, and I I I didn't even say this, and I tried to actually put this as a disclaimer in the book. I'm not saying that you can't pursue more. I'm not saying that you can't have, you know, make all the money in the world that you can make. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying you can't have luxuries in life. I'm just saying that if you do that and don't have a firm understanding of your personal why and the and the root of uh, your purpose then those things become an empty pursuit that leave you at a point of being unsatisfied. But if it's tied to your personal purpose, your personal why, it's a different outcome with people that understand that. When was the first time for you that you felt truly connected to your personal purpose? Oh, wow. So for me, it was a dawning uh, realization. It was not a one moment kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. There were some catalytic experiences I had. And then it was a, uh, there was one in particular where I had been doing the last few years that I was in private equity. I, I switched and I focused primarily on, on leadership development and, and working with teams and helping teams work more effectively and healthily together. And that's where I first began to realize that my passion and my personal why is rooted in helping people, specifically leaders, but people in general, understand their why, understand their purpose. And because out of that, you can make a commitment to individual flourishing and help others do the same. And so I was working with this team. It was a nonprofit leadership organization. I was working with their leadership team, about 16, 17 people. I had done a half-day workshop for them. And at the end of the workshop, we had great discussion and we had made plans then for additional workshops. And uh, literally I'm walking out. This is probably th uh, about three years ago now. I walk out of this building into my vehicle. I sit in the vehicle and I cannot explain to you what happened to this day. I had a wave of emotion come over me out of nowhere. And I literally sat in that parking lot and I bawled like a baby for about 15 minutes. And it was not tears of sadness or whatever. It was tears of joy because literally I had this sense of this is what you, meaning me, this is what you were created to do. And it was the first time that I, that I had this, I call it a collision, right? I had this collision of my personal why, my personal purpose that collided with what I had just done. Mm -hmm. And it was clear as day. And so from that point forward, then I could not let that go. And it's like, okay, I need to, this is what I need to pursue. And I've had a lot of people up to that point telling me, listen, this is what you're gifted at. This is what you're passionate about. This is what you're really good at doing. This is how you contribute value in life. And I knew personally, it was also my calling, but frankly, it's scary as the Dickens to say, okay, I'm going to give up the, uh, I'm going to give up a, a paycheck and benefits and, you know, 401k and vacation and say, okay, world, here I am. I'm going to start my own business and I'm going to go for it. 
and fully knowing I don't have a clue if I'm going to have any clients or any customers or anything at all. And so then I write this book and, you know, first time authors, man, you don't, uh, it, it costs you money to write a book. Actually don't, you don't yeah. get, you don't make money off your first book. That's for sure. And so, um, so that's where that, that was kind of, for me, it was a, it was a dawning realization, but there were a couple of these catalytic instances that I had along the way that I just couldn't get away from. And let's talk about those because and I want to read out a part from uh, the introduction, uh, basically, in your book. By nature, I am a driven, bottom line, get it done, no nonsense personality type who gets much satisfaction and much of my identity out of being able to get large volumes of tasks done with satisfactory results. Now, we have a very driven person, I think it's fair to say, who has this moment in the car after the half day workshop with this leadership team identifies this is what I'm meant to do. Now I'm going to do it. So what, what were those steps that led you to be so bold as you have been to make the changes and go for it? Well, from that point uh, forward, literally, I think that I, about three months after that is when I wrote the introduction to the book. And so, because I, I couldn't get it out of my head. And five months after that, is when I walked away from my my last corporate job and said, I'm going on my own. Now, I will tell you that I had a wonderful friend and I was actually helping him in his business. He had a fan business as well. And I had come in to help him build an executive team. And my time there had was coming to an end. And I knew that and he knew that. And it was never meant to be a long thing anyway. And so I left and he was very generous. He knew my passion. He knew what I was good at doing. He kept telling me, dude, you need to pursue that because I see it in you. You know, whenever you teach, whenever you train, whenever you coach, you light up like a, like a, like a stinking Christmas tree. <laughs> and, 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 and that's what you should be doing. So on the way out the door, you know, he helped me actually, he helped me get started into business. And, you know, I focused then about that for, for about a year, I focused on finishing the book, getting it published, and then it wasn't until, and that book came out in October of this last year. And then, so basically I had not really focused on client acquisition really much at all. I mean, I have a, I had a website, it was really rudimentary. And so really starting in October then is when I'm like, oh, oh, nuts. I, I, you know, I got this book that just came out. I really need to get serious about client acquisition. So um, redid my website, got that uh, tidied up and I uh, hired this uh, marketing guy. He's amazing. He's been helping me a lot with trying to get the word out and, and my name out a little bit. And so, so it's been, um, I, I'd like to say that I sat down, you know, after that moment in my vehicle when, you know, and, and it's interestingly enough because my, my, my wife and my kids will tell you that I'm, I'm emotionally constipated. Uh, sorry about the, the uh, terminology, but uh, and so, I, uh, so I don't <laughs> express emotion well, at least not, not that kind of emotion. And so, uh, so by, like I said before, it really shook me because I, I can't tell you before, before that, I couldn't tell you the last time I shed a tear, but I'd like to tell you that after that, I sat down and I put together this glamorous strategic plan and I'm going to do this in one year and three years and five years, you know, the stuff that I coach my clients to do, I didn't do any of that for me. I just said, okay, this is going to happen. I'm going to do this and we're going to see what happens. And, you know, hope is not a strategy, but that's how I started. <laughs> so <laughs> now I'm trying to correct that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was really one thing that connected us, I'd say, um, during the initial conversation that we have had, because we have such an honest and just real chat. You know, there are so many amazing parts of becoming your own 
business leader, driving your own business, being yeah. entrepreneurial. There are so many scary-ish areas <laughs> of this piece of work oh, as well, kidding. frustrating pieces uh, where you just say, I'm going to leave it. That's it. <laughs> right? yeah. um, and you have been with me very, very honest about it. So um, ha let's have a chat here and include the, the listeners into that conversation too. What has been the biggest joy so far since you've started your own endeavor and which have been the most frustrating and challenging pieces for you? Oh, wow. You know, uh, part of the reason we're, we can have that kind of conversation, Kathleen, is because you ask such doggone good questions. You know, you just get right to the heart of the matter. So I really appreciate that. Some of the greatest joy I've had is I love it when when leaders and leadership teams, you, you, they have those aha moments, right? You talk with them, you ask them questions, you know, as as you know, any any good coach, you uh, you try not to give answers. You just try to ask really, really good questions. And you keep asking those questions because, and I, I've, I've shared this with, with other people as well. My job as a coach, my job as a facilitator, as a teacher, as a trainer, as a speaker, my job isn't necessarily to give you the answers. My job is to help you arrive at the answer. Because if I tell you something, you may believe 30, 40, 50% of what I say. If you tell yourself something, you'll believe 100% of what you say. Mm -hmm. And so it's my job to help you arrive at the answer that you seek. And so that's one of my greatest joys is working with people and they have those aha moments of, oh, wow, that's it. Okay, let's let's do this thing. And then they lean in and, you know, we're off to the races kind of a thing. So and I still love that. You know, I've loved that in my entire career, even when I had my own business way back in my when I was in my 20s. Um, I still love those moments of working with people in my employees or whatever it might be when they get those aha moments and, and you just see these light bulbs go on and you see them just kind of take off and, you know, they grow like crazy and, you know, they start to become a, the best version of themselves possible. And I love that. Just love that. And um, still do to this day and probably will to the day I die, quite frankly. Um, most frustrating, I think it's like with any uh, startup. You know, I, I try not to uh, worry and I, I try not to be anxious and just try to trust and have faith that, that things will come together. And, but yet I do, you know, there are days I, I worry, you know, it's, I'm, I'm financing this thing my, myself and it's, uh, it can be discouraging at times when you see your, uh, what you've worked hard to save and, and, and put together and uh, to see those numbers drop, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to see it when it grows. Uh, and, you know, when you're, when you have a job and you're saving and you're putting things away and, and, uh, but seeing, seeing that, you know, begin to, um, to burn up a little bit is, uh, is scary at times. Um, you know, I've got, I've got three kids. One, one is on his own now. So he's out, he's off my payroll. That's lovely. But I have two, I have one in college and I have one that, uh, is, uh, will be in college in two years. And, uh, so we're very much in the thick of, you know, some of the most expensive stages of life here. And so, uh, so that's scary. One other big joy is seeing that book, the book that you've held up, seeing that become a reality. You know, it was a, it was a dream literally two years ago. And in October, when I, it was, it was about a week before it came out on Amazon, I received my shipment in and 
you know, take, I'll never forget that feeling. You know, I, I saw the case sitting outside my front door and, and I brought it inside and actually I didn't even bring it inside. I'm sorry. I, I literally took a knife outside with me and I'm cutting open the box and, and my wife is there with the camera. And so I opened it up and, and literally I cannot describe for you the feeling, the emotion, the, um, the, the joy that I felt as I picked up that book for the first time and actually mm-hmm. felt it. It's like, wait a minute, my, my name's on this. I actually wrote something. What? So anyway, sorry, sorry, long answer to your question, but. No, but a really passionate one. And I just got goosebumps. Uh, I could literally visualize yourself um, doing it and being really proud and perhaps even a little bit humble about it, right? Oh, my. And that, that's a good way to put it. It was both a sense of pride and a sense of humility of, wow, the world's going to see this thing. And and to your point, you know, when I when I wrote this book and both my my editor and my publishing manager both cautioned me more than once of saying, you know, listen, you you have a lot of you in this book. Mm-hmm. And at times you get quite raw, you get quite mm-hmm. vulnerable. Are you sure you want to put this out for the world to see? Because, you know, it's one thing if people love your stuff, but there will be critics, there'll be people that won't love your stuff. And how are you going to handle that? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm just going to have faith that this is what I'm supposed to do. And when those times come, I'll deal with it. So who do you think is this book for? You know, that's that's a good question because trying to narrow in uh, an audience is difficult to do, but yet it's extremely important when you write a book. At the core, the book is written to, to leaders, but I will say that it's really written to anyone who desires to live life intentionally. The bottom line for the book is live life intentionally. Don't live by accident. Don't allow life to happen to you. You choose your path in life. And I think that that's one of the things that maybe I picked up on that I didn't mention earlier when I was dealing with these leaders and and owners of businesses is they almost had this sense of this isn't the path that I chose for myself, but yet it, it is, but yet it isn't. And so Choosing to live life intentionally, really understanding your purpose and your why. You know, I use the word flourishing, pursue a flourishing life and do it intentionally and do it, uh, pursue who you are, who you're created to be, what you're passionate about doing, what you're gifted about, gifted at doing, how you contribute value to the world and what you're called to do and do that with gusto and do it intentionally. And I... I rarely ever asked the question, who is the book for necessarily? But here I was so interested because I could see such a wide range of people who feel challenged in their lives, who are battling with anxiety uh, up to depression and yep. want to change something about how they feel about themselves and their lives. Leaders, as you mentioned, I showed it right away to my husband, where we have a combination of depression, leadership, entrepreneurship, making some important choices. And I said, You've got to read this because it, it really matches so many groups. So that's just, just the one example where I say, I, I think that's an advantage that for me, at least, that doesn't have to be one niche that fits yeah. that book. Well, thank you for that. That was honestly one of the biggest struggles I had is trying to narrow in the audience for the for that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second book, I got a little better at defining the audience, but this first book, you're right, because... I guess part of me didn't really want to narrow the audience because it's one of these things, Kathleen, if it influences one person's life and they become better for it. And at the end of reading that book, they say, you know what, I'm going to make some changes to my life and I'm going to live life differently as a result of that. It was worth it to me. 
Yeah. It was honestly, it was just worth it to me. And so I don't want to say, okay, this is just for leaders or this is just for this or just no, because it's not to your point. Yeah. And by the way, there's no emotional constipation in that one. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> so here we go. Thank you for that. <laughs> I might I might use that phrase or that, that tagline at some other point again. I really enjoy this. <laughs> Your business is called Uniquely Normal. And that's, that's again, another title that I really just enjoy saying and reading, Uniquely Normal. And I have never been a fan of the word normal. But mm -hmm. here it works so well. So tell us a little bit more about that business, the title Uniquely Normal, and how you now support a leader specifically. So the title came out of Again, working with with uh, leaders, leadership teams, and hearing the stories of, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask leaders, leadership teams is, you know, what keeps you awake at night in non-productive energy? So basically, what do you worry about? What keeps you up at night from a worry point of view, an anxiety point of view? And most likely, I mean, literally nine times out of 10, it had something to do with people. They had difficulty figuring out how to recruit or how to retain or how to promote or how to develop or whatever it might be. But yet a lot of the time I would hear the same kind of a disclaimer of, well, yeah, but my situation is unique. Nobody understands. I'm, you know, it's, it's the, it's the famous, Hey, it's lonely to top thing, right? Nobody understands what I'm dealing with. Nobody understands what I'm, what I'm worrying about or whatever. Well, when you hear the same thing over and over and over and over again, how nobody understands I'm unique in this. Okay. You're not unique. What you're dealing with is normal. You have problems. You have problems you're trying to solve in your business, in your organization, in your leadership team, in your own personal leadership. You have problems that you think are unique to you, but guess what? The next leader down the street has the same problems he thinks or she thinks are unique to them. And the same thing to the next leadership and the next and the next and the next. That's normal. And so it's it's helping leaders understand that you're, yes, you think your issues are unique. That's very normal. And because of that, we can have conversations together and say, okay, listen, let's either put you together with other leaders who are dealing with the same issues and let's talk about it or help me help you understand how maybe other, let me share with you how other leaders have dealt with problems that you think are unique, but are actually very normal. And so I just kept seeing the same thing over and over. People have unique problems. They think they're unique. They're really not. They're normal. And so one day I was just kind of playing with it. It's like uniquely normal. There's nothing more to it. Really, That's how it came together is that, uh, you know, and, and think about it personally too, right? We think we have unique problems. We think we have unique circumstances, until we realize, oh, you're dealing with that too? Oh, wait, you're dealing with, oh, wait, you're dealing. And then we begin to realize, oh, wow, this is just part of life. This is actually normal. Yeah. And I think there's some, there's some soothing to that. There's some peace that comes with that, mm -hmm. realizing, oh, wait, I'm really not alone. I think there is this sense of, you know, we're alone, we're isolated, we're insulated. And when we get in those places, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, depression, anxiety. I think that we get in these places of feeling we're all alone. No one understands. I think that it accelerates that anxiety. It makes it worse and it makes the, and that can lead to depression. I mean, I dealt with a, a very severe suicidal depression actually in my twenties. I understand those feelings 
And you know, I don't know had it been different for me if I'd have known that, oh, you know, uh, Joe down the street and, and Jane across town, they dealt with the same things. I should really talk with them and find out how they dealt with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so that's that's the genesis of Uniquely Normal and uh, and really the focus of the business. I call them four pillars. It's writing, it's speaking, it's coaching and it is consulting. And, and the focus really is helping leaders, helping leadership teams pursue flourishing individually and helping build organizations that are flourishing by investing in their team members to help them flourish as well. We will be talking about flourishing and a flourishing moment, uh, model in a moment. Um, but you gave me or you threw me a few really golden nuggets here that um, I want to pick up on. Sure. Um, one of them being obviously the, the story about depression, where we will get to that. But the other one is also about um, uniquely normal in the sense of connection. And you mm. said, you know, as soon as they realize there are others who may be in a very similar place, that may change things and the attitude and 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 the feeling overall. And that is something I came to realize so frequently in the last two years in particular, when through the pandemic, we worked virtually together. People felt obviously very disconnected or a lot mm -hmm. of people, not everybody. And we, we started to mix people more and more in group interventions, quote unquote. And the feedback we continuously receiving is meeting other individuals who are in a similar place, despite their different circumstances, was for me a huge relief. Mm. While the content and so on was spot on, is that this sense of connection, of safe space to share and talk about it and hear it from others, so you don't feel alone with it, that made all the difference. If that's all I would get out of a program, totally fine. Yep. And that was for me such a huge aha moment. And question for you, when you work with your leaders, do you see any difference there amongst those between men and women, continents, countries, any differences in the sense of opening up and seeking this kind of connection? Not really. I, I think at, at our core, you know, we're, we are relational beings and, and we are made to be relational. And so I think that when um, I think so, there's this desire to have connection, and and I and I think it's a um, it's a sad state of our culture of just the world we live in right now, where we think we have to do this alone or that we have to be alone. And so I think that when um, when especially the the people that I talk with, one of the first things I try to help them understand is you're not alone, or you don't have to be alone. And, you know, especially, you know, it's I, I, the, the, uh, the idiom that I've heard for years and years and years is this lonely at the top. Okay. But it doesn't have to be, yes, that may be true, but it's a self-made, it's a self. I, I heard this illustration years ago and I love the illustration, but it's a self-made prison of which I'm in the prison cell, but I'm holding the key. So at any time I could open the door and I could walk out of my own prison that I've created. And it's the same thing here with with with, uh, with with being lonely in leadership is, okay, it may be true, but it doesn't have to be. At any time, you can take the key that you have in your hand, <laughs> reach around, open the door, and walk out of your own jail cell and, and interact and connect with other people. So I think to your point, yeah, I think that people genuinely want to connect. I mean, 
they want i think that they genuinely don't want to feel that what they're feeling what they're dealing with is something that nobody else understands um i think that's a wonderful lie of our culture is that you you're alone nobody understands you got to do this alone and and I, it's just not true i don't want to burden anybody yeah is another one uh everybody's busy um i don't want to burn you and i i that is one thing i hear and this is honestly one thing as well that i have carried in my head for years and years yeah. and still work in progress asking for help yep. you know um yep. so so what are the beliefs the leaders who feel they are alone um hold so that they don't take this key and actually open the door oh wow uh, another great question i i think part of it is is that um to your point they don't want to be a burden they don't want to take other people's time They may sense that if I say I need help or, hey, I don't have all the answers, there may be a sense of uh, weakness. I may appear to be weak, may appear to be, hey, 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 I have to appear as though I have all the answers. And if I don't have that appearance, then people are going to lose confidence in me. You use the word belief, and I think that's the right word. Um, but I, I love to also say, make sure if you if you have these beliefs, make sure they're rooted in truth and not rooted in false beliefs. And so where I see a lot of leaders who get themselves wrapped around the proverbial axle and they put themselves into this jail cell of their own making, it's because they have learned to embrace for whatever reason, and we all do it to some degree, we've learned to believe these false beliefs that just aren't true. And so one of my passions, one of the things that I start to dive into immediately whenever I have an opportunity to talk with leaders is let's start to unpack, you know, what are you telling yourself? Because whatever you're telling yourself, that's what you're believing. Yeah. And so let's just make sure that what you're telling yourself is truth and not false. And I think that's one of the, and if you can begin to have that conversation very early on, then you can begin to help that leader record new conversations that are going over and over and over in their heads. And I think there are, quite a few more reasons or beliefs that we may be holding leaders and even non-leaders why we yep. are alone with it and should stay alone with it one that i experience quite frequently in some of the more senior leaders i used to work with was oh, we cannot share these things we cannot talk about it right And, and I'm in a position, you know, where I hold a lot of confidential information. Okay, don't share all of these information with me, but you can still talk about what's going on for you. Right. You know, right. And, and just talk about some of the personal challenges that you're yeah. experiencing in this role. Yeah. And, and what I've noticed is that as soon as we've built a lot of rapport and uh, a, a personal level relationship where we could open up, Right. And we remove the which seniority level on you or are you on a hierarchy level and which am I on? We could actually just have human conversations. Absolutely. And great chats. And the amount of time the leader would say to me, oh, that actually felt really good. And yeah. it happened quite frequently over a beer. But it, yeah. it, it, it felt good just to chat about a few things. Yeah. I've had similar experiences like, like that. I mean, and you mentioned beer. Some of the greatest conversations I've had with with uh, with people have been over a, a beer or two, you know, because I think you get away from the grind and you have a couple of beers to help relax you a little bit. And all of a sudden things just start to flow. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I share with leaders at some point is some of the greatest strength you can exhibit is when you go to your team and you willingly say, 
I don't know. I need your help. Because what that does is actually that raises the level of, of authenticity and transparency. And I have yet to see its exception where a team rallies around and says, okay, let's figure this out together. Now you have shared ownership, not just in the problem, but now you have shared ownership in the success of the organization and that leader. And it makes that leader human. And I think that so many times, I think to your point, I think they, I think leaders have this perception that they have to be superhuman. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can actually negatively affect their leadership mm -hmm. because then people are reluctant to come and help or support because they're like, oh, well, they already know the answers anyway, so I don't need to go to them. Um, psychological safety is such a huge mm. topic and has been for the last years in particular. I know Amy Edmondson came out with the book, The Fearless Organization, years and years ago, but it, it is on people's minds, how we create yeah. this safe environment. And what you just highlighted is the key to it, yeah. right? And, and I love the whole human-centered leadership approach. Can we just get back to being humans again oh, and, and talk to one another on a very human level? Yeah, absolutely. A, a, a little side note, um, for those of you out there listening who really have done Detroit January, February, March even, and who are, have no interest into alco in alcohol, what we are not trying to say here is you have to become an alcoholic. Surely not. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> We've, we just share experience where we said, ah, that was a really lovely informal chat. And in my culture, definitely, sometimes you go into the pub and you have a great chat there and open Absolutely. up. Absolutely. <laughs> so the less entertaining and actually really serious topic that you highlighted in the book is indeed the uh, topic around clinical depression at a very early age. And that was the moment where I thought, goodness me, he really, really opens up in the book. That was incredible. And that was, by the way, the moment when I turned to my husband and I said, this is a book for you. Uh, you really got to read this. Because it. I was literally kind of paralyzed in that moment. I was noticing my breathing slowed down. I was feeling with you. But you are the best person to probably describe what was happening for you and how you basically turned your life around, which which is still for me absolutely incredible. It, it wasn't just me. So I, I can't take credit for that. I, um, literally, there was miracle after miracle that occurred. I had some amazing people that came around me during that time. And the way that that God orchestrated all of that was, uh, I still can't understand quite fully what all happened to this day. And it's been 25, 20, almost 25, 25, 26 years, years ago now. So what was happening is um, I had just taken over our family business, uh, which is actually something that I was reluctant to do. I was actually going to go to grad school and, and pursue a completely different path in life. And that's just, it's not what happened. That's fine. And so I took it over. And uh, immediately started to discover problems that were hidden from me for many reasons why. And, and they just kept adding up. The first one was I began to get phone calls from debt collectors from our, from our trade partners. And uh, they weren't going to supply me with supply. And if I didn't have supply, I couldn't sell. If I couldn't sell, I couldn't make money. If I couldn't make money, I couldn't pay bills. And, uh, and, and, and the more I began to uncover what was owed, it was literally over five years worth of profits that had been removed from the business. 
And there's no way possible I could repay that. And then the second one was is that we were in the oil business and uh, we had several properties and a couple of them were polluting. They were actively polluting neighboring properties. And the, you know, the, the U.S. has the EPA and they don't like it when you pollute other people's properties. So, and I don't either. I didn't want to do that. And so I didn't, didn't know that. And the third was, is that the, uh, there was a, um, um, the uh, withholding tax was not paid for over a year and the IRS uh, doesn't like that. They get a little grumpy, in fact, if you don't pay them their taxes that are due. And so all of that came at the same time. And uh, I began to stop sleeping. Then I began to experience acute anxiety. Then I began to, I didn't, I didn't know any of these terms at the time. I just explained to you what I was feeling. Mm. And then I began to experience panic attacks. And um, I had no idea again, what that meant. All I could tell you is, is that it felt like somebody asked me to lie on the floor and put a 50 pound bag of concrete on my chest and said, now breathe deeply. <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. Literally when I was, I'd sit at my desk in my office and uh, there was a, there was a restroom right off my office and uh, the phone would ring. And I, I literally would trigger such an emotional panic in me that I'd vomit. So then eventually about uh, three months of that, I stopped getting out of bed. And would, if I did get out of bed, you know, I would get dressed. I would leave as if I was going to work and I would just sit in a park all day um, because I couldn't deal with anything. And it was just, this was really before cell phones. And so um, it was, I was difficult to get a hold of and people didn't know where I was. And, and I wasn't, and I was newly married at the time when all this happened, I had been married for just a little over a year. And I had no idea at the time what it was to be a husband. Uh, we didn't have kids, so obviously I didn't know what it was to be a father. And I thought that I had to be macho and protect my wife from all this stuff. And so um, so she knew that things were bad, but she had no idea how bad her husband was really until the day she received a phone call when uh, it was the, uh, um, I had not been to the office at this point in probably two months and uh, was, was uh if I got out of bed, I wasn't doing a whole lot. And finally, about six months into this, I uh, I decided to uh, take my own life. And so the night before, I actually slept really well because I decided that I was done with this. I wasn't going to deal with this anymore. And I uh, got up. I got dressed. I uh, actually went to the office, which is the first time I've been there in, I don't know, two and a half, three months at that point. And I pulled out three pieces of paper to write three letters. One was to my wife. One was to my mom, who I'd actually hired to come work for me. And one was to my little brother because I felt responsible for him. And not one word got written because uh, before I wrote, I had this thought that, you know, when I was a kid, I remember that my parents took out this life insurance policy on me and I didn't know any of the details. And so rather than calling my life insurance agent, who happened to be my mom's lifetime friend, we went to high school together. I drove to his office, which is like three blocks away in the small town that we live in. And, and he happened to be in, I spent about 15 minutes with him, asking him questions, trying to be very careful. The questions I was asking, uh, I was looking for a suicide exclusion clause is what I was looking for. So I had enough wherewithal to think that anyway. So I left there, went back to my office via a coffee shop, I think. And, uh, as I'm walking to the door, my mom says, Hey, let's go out for tea which we would do. And so I said, okay. And she, uh, she says, I'll drive. And I and so I'm like, okay, that's odd. Usually I drove. And so I let her drive, uh, halfway to our normal T joint. She turned left. And, uh, and at that point I said, whoa, whoa, where are we going? And she said to see a friend. 
at that point, you know, my mom had lied to me, uh, which is fine. It saved my life, actually. And uh, we pulled into this businessman's office in in this town, very successful. And uh, he said, she, she said, um, we're going to spend some time with this gentleman. Well, I found out later on that as soon as I left my life insurance agent's office, he picked up the phone and called my mom. And he just said, very short conversation. He just said, Jean, her name was Jean. Jean, I know things are bad. I know things are rough. I know you're trying to figure out all the pieces since um, you know, my dad left. And, and uh, he said, none of that matters right now. He says, I just saw your son. And if you don't do something today, he will not be here tomorrow. Wow. And uh, she hung up the phone and she called the only other person that she could think of that went through something similar to this a decade prior. And it was this businessman. So we spent six hours with him that day. And at the end of this time, and I'll finish with this, at the end of that time, he didn't say, I'll fix it. I'll write a check for it, which he could. I mean, he literally pocket change could have covered, you know, uh, our problems for pocket change to him. And, uh, but he didn't do that. He, he just said, I will walk with you through this. And he did. And literally he and I would meet sometimes twice a week. And we did that for years. But he's the one then he he got me he got me help. I was removed completely for everything uh, institutionalized. I was uh, heavily medicated for a while just to get my you know, I didn't understand about how, you know, adrenaline and norepinephrine and, and uh, dopamine and how all those things work together. Brain chemistry, my brain chemistry was so out of whack. It wasn't funny. And so the first thing we had addressed was brain chemistry. And then we had to, then we could begin to address the emotional, the mental, the relational, the spiritual, all the things that were wrapped up into my, 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 my mess. And I spent the next six years uh, in counseling with this wonderful counselor uh, here locally. My wife joined me after about six months and it was through that. And it was just thing after thing. And I had two or three other mentors that just began to pour into me that began to really teach me, you know, what does it mean to be a husband? to eventually be a dad, to, to be a business person, you know, and quite frankly, to be a man, you know, I really didn't know any of that. You know, I've often said that I went to business school to get my degree, but I went into business to actually get my education. And a lot of my education came from these people that loved me, that care about me, that care about my family and just poured themselves into me. And it was through all of that. And, and we started, the business started over, you know, we, we were able to start over and, and the new business thrived and, and uh, it was a great run, learned a lot. And um, anyway, so that's, that's the story of that. I don't think anybody has ever done this on the show. I don't think anybody ever got me to the point where I think I need not to cry. No, 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 because it's so touching. It's so sad and yet at the same time so encouraging as well i don't even want to say it feels encouraging but that's that's the conclusion that's left with me at the same time yeah no and and thank you for that you know it's the one thing you know, people have asked me over the years you know if if you had to go through that again would you and and i in unequivocally i say absolutely i would and they look at me like i'm an alien that has three heads or something when they say why and, and the reason is this, prior to my depression, people would say, including my wife, and I, you know, it's one of the things, my, my wife and I dated for seven years before we got married, primarily because I have major commitment issues. And so, um, and she's a wonderful person, but, but honestly, to this day, I'm not sure why she married me because um, the terms that she would use, and I didn't really pick up on this, you know, overly confident, AKA arrogant, self-determined, self-motivated, AKA workaholic. Very knowledgeable, aka conceited, arrogant, uh, know it all. And I thought I knew better. 
you know, and, and part of that was because academically I was very strong, you know, graduated top of my class, both high school, university. And so um, I thought that that translated then into, well, business has to be the same, right? And so my own pride, my own ego kept me from saying, I don't know, I need help. And I hope today that it would be a very different story that I get to the point of saying, I don't know, I need help. And so honestly, when I started this second, when I started this business this time around, again, I still have wonderful mentors that are speaking into my life. And one of the things that one of my mentors said is don't do it alone. And I knew that to be true. Whereas 25 years ago, I just said, what do you know? And so one of the first things I did before I even really started this business is I asked my wife and three older men than me that I trust and I know that love me and I love them dearly. I asked them to serve as my personal board of directors and we meet quarterly and literally I can go and just be raw with them. In fact, I did this just not that long ago and said, guys, this isn't working. I want to quit. I don't think it's going to work. I'm just going to get a job and forget this whole dream. And to a person, they all said, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> so, so anyway. Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on-demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Well, what I heard in your story, um, amongst other things, are you were agreeing to do something that you didn't see as your path. Mm -hmm. So think about what is your why? We're coming back right to the start of this conversation. What does your inner voice tell you? Where do you feel like, oh, you know, I sit in the car and want to cry because of joy. Yeah. And where does that not happen? Yeah. The second thing is you went alone. The third yeah. thing is you had some really challenging surprises and literally so much being thrown at you that well, a lot of people would feel overwhelmed by right away. I definitely yep. know I would. Yeah. And you had, at least it came across to me, like you felt like you have to sort it all out. Step into uh, that role of sorting it out. Get it right. I had, yep. I had to fix it. Yeah. And I couldn't. And again, alone. Alone. And what happened was someone literally, in this moment, forced themselves up on you with a lot of care. Yeah. The, yeah. the insurance um, consultant. And became your biggest supporter, mentor, helping hand, and other people came into your life and everything turned around. And, and again, I have goosebumps because that's, that's such a, an incredibly tough story to tell, but with so many lessons in there. And again, human lessons. Yeah. And here you are now. Still running your business after you heard some, some <laughs> tough feedback that you needed to hear with some great support around you. And still a wife that's yep. there for you um, yes. through all ups and downs. Has she ever shared what made her decide to, to be with you? What, what actually were those, those key 
things that that attracted her that you know she said yes he's the man for me you know that's uh that's a good question she actually has you know she married me actually even against her parents desire her parents didn't want her to marry me either and she would tell you that she married the man that i knew i could become not the man that i was so she married my potential and she married the person that uh she saw she saw potential and she saw through my facade she thought she saw through the mask through the arrogance and she just knew she said someday that's all going to come down and you're going to see a completely different person on the inside that's what she married and little did i know that little over a year into our marriage that i was going to be faced with the uh, you know we were going to go through what we went through and the way that i described that quite frankly is the blessing in for our marriage is is that we got a chance to do a do-over without having to go through the pain of an actual do-over. And so we got the chance to build a foundation for our relationship that has now allowed us to weather additional storms and quite frankly, even more difficult storms than what we went through during that depression. And and you know, one of the one of the biggest word pictures that she gave me. And I use this a lot because I see this in other other leaders, especially in their marriages, is that she described it as that I was living in this glass house where she could see that there were problems, there were issues going on, but she couldn't hear anything about it. And so she knew there was problems, but she didn't know the extent of the problems. Mm -hmm. And that was such a big word picture for me and realizing, okay, you know what? I have to invite her in the same house. We have to be together in this. And so when we start decided to start this business again and do it again, one of the biggest differences is, okay, you're going to be right with me in everything. And, and she doesn't even, she, she, I'm not going to say she hates, but she really does not like meetings. And so the thought of her sitting for half and a half a day board meeting once a quarter, I mean, seriously, she'd rather have me take toothpicks and poke them in her eyeballs than she would to sit there for four hours while we talk about business and life and everything else. Um, but she does it because of her love for me and for us. Man, she is a keeper. I mean, now oh after three kids, yeah, but she yeah. is a keeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I married soon, up big time. <laughs> as soon as you um, fulfill her wish, to spend some more time in Ireland, you do let me know. <laughs> and then we can all meet up there. I want to meet her. That's for sure. Wonderful. She's Love got to that. come onto this podcast. That's Perfect. leadership. Yes, That's it is. absolute leadership. I have one more question about the depression part of your life. And then yeah. we're moving on to something more flourishing. I have heard from quite a few men that I know who suffer from some degree of depression that they find it very hard to talk about it. And particularly in the UK, the suicide rate um, based on as a result of depression and not talking about it in particular amongst men is very high. And I was wondering, what's your view basically on the topic of talking about depression as a man? Is that something that feels difficult? If so, why? How can we help other individuals and in particular also men to start to talk about it more uh, so that we have a chance to become those mentors and those helpers and those helping hands, hands for them. You know, that is actually a, another passion of mine is, 
is to talk about things that that is not easy to talk about, that we don't want to talk about. And it, honestly, it goes back to even what I talked about earlier with coming up with a name uniquely normal is that, you know, we, we think that the problems that we face in life are unique. You know, I think especially for men, especially for men that are driven and are hard headed uh, like me, it's very difficult to say that, oh, you know what? I screwed up or, hey, I failed. Um, hey, my first my first foray into business on my own ended in a blaze of glory. It was wonderful. And hey, I about took my life because of it. You know, nobody wants to talk about that, right? They want to talk about the successes and they want to talk about what happened. It's much more fun for me to talk about what happened when we restarted the business and how it grew and how it succeeded and how then I sold it and all this jazz. That's a lot more fun to talk about. But that's not where the true part of the story is. I can't talk about the success that happened unless I first share with you the failure that happened um, because that's not authentic because I didn't just get into business and have this wild success story because I didn't, it was a wild failure story. And that is what I have found. And so what drives, what drove me to tell the story is I have a heart for helping people and I have a heart for being authentic and transparent. And so just tell you like it is, and if my story can help somebody else, and where I saw this firsthand, Kathleen, is several years ago, I was asked to speak on a on a panel, and we were talking actually about second-generation businesses and talking about this, and, and somehow somebody got wind of that I went through a depression, and I don't remember how that happened, and the moderator asked me about it, and I wound up telling the story pretty much like I just told you. There was probably, I don't know, three or 400 people in the room. Most of them were either uh, owners of businesses, CEOs, or senior leadership in businesses. And at the end of that then, um, so I shared that, and then we went back to the topic at hand. And at the end, then there was open Q&A for about a half an hour. And the open Q&A wound up lasting over an hour, and almost every single question was around the depression that I went through. And it was that point that I had this huge aha of, we have to talk about this. Because people are suffering alone because depression is a very lonely thing to go through. I'd call it an illness, but that has a stigma to it. And yes, I have had people accuse me of being mentally ill. I've had people accuse me of not having enough faith. I've had people accuse me of, you know, of it being a crutch or I've had people say, hey, if, if you say you have all this faith in God and, you know, then why'd you go through a depression? It's like, well, because you know what? I'm human. <laughs> And I had a I had a life that happened. I had a brain chemistry imbalance because of what was going on. And it's okay to talk about that stuff. And we should be talking about that stuff because I'm a big had had somebody not seen what I was going through and had the guts to reach out and say, hey, this guy is really, really suffering right now and needs help. I wouldn't be here today. You know, I would not have had my three kids. And to think, oh, I can't even. Uh, the thought of not having um, them, mm -hmm. the thought of doing something so uh, that I was thinking about doing and taking my own life, man. And I, and unfortunately, you know, my story wound up okay, but there are people whose stories don't wind up okay. And that's not okay. That's why we need to talk about this stuff. It shouldn't surprise me anymore, but yet it surprises me when I even hear that people throw those questions and phrases at you. I mean, it goes against all of my values and beliefs in 
you know, our human race to even yep. say things like that. That, that. That's pure ignorance from my perspective. I agree. It's, it's, it's time to talk about it more for the sake of supporting all these people you mentioned that are alone and fighting it alone and to help people who don't understand the concept of it yet to understand it. Amen. And to become supporters. Amen. I I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Amen. And and as 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 a wife of someone who, who suffers from it, everybody is involved. Um, it's it's not just the person really suffering from it. Everybody will get a piece of it, and so you go through together, and and that's what you have to do in this moment. And it's a tough journey. It so, is. And a lot of it goes back to you know, part of our conversation we had earlier is that, um, and for me, it was, uh, and this happened through the years of counseling that happened after the depression, was beginning to unpack these false beliefs and these lies that I was telling myself, right? You know, that I had to do this on my own. I couldn't ask for help. You know, it's it's me and me alone. If it's up to, if it's, if it's going to be, it's up to me. You know, those wonderful lies that we tell ourselves. That just aren't true. You know, I, I used to use the term, um, you know, self-made. Well, that person's self-made. That's a lie. No one, absolutely no one is self-made. There's always someone who helped someone else. Even if it's a little way, I do not believe in self-made. I think that's a wonderful lie that we tell ourselves in our culture. And I think it can lead to these other lies that we tell ourselves. And so what happens is then when life falls apart or we hit these bumps in life, we hit these challenges in life that are overwhelming, we position ourselves of, oh, wow, I can't share with anybody that I'm, I'm, I'm suffering right now or that I'm failing. And so then we, we close ourselves off from everybody else, which just accelerates the, the spiral down into depression. And in any other area of life, right? If we don't go it alone, it's just so much more enjoyable as well. Oh my. Oh yes. I mean, goodness me. I as I said in the beginning, right? For me, helping and people have heard that before, asking for help is work in progress. <laughs> it absolutely is. But every time I do, or someone literally forces the help onto me, I'm so grateful about it. Yeah. We have laughter, we have joy and so much learning along the way. Yes, absolutely. So I want to come back to the book. I mean, yeah. we've just talked about one of the topics in the book, but I want to come back to another one. And that is when less is more. And you've mm. highlighted the flourishing um, model earlier on. So how can we get to the point where we truly appreciate that less is more? And we get back into the space of satisfaction, content, even perhaps even this tearful joy in the car that you have experienced. Yeah, I think each person has their own path, their own journey to that. And I think there are some some similar uh, or common mile markers along the way, though. I think first is just becoming aware of why am I here? You know, really wrestling that to the ground. What is my personal why? What's my purpose? You know, I have a purpose for being here. What is it? And then really diving deep into that and understanding my purpose. I think second is just understanding what is joy and where does my joy come from? You know, a lot of people talking about being happy and that's a term. It's, it's a fine term. I'm not a huge fan of the word happy. And here's why, because I believe happy is both emotional and fickle. And I believe it's short-lived. 
you know, hey, I'm happy that uh, that hey, I'm happy the book came out. I'm joyful that I was able to share my story. And so that's a difference. I'm happy that I, you know, got this big bonus. I'm joyful that I'm able to have an impact in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I think it's understanding the difference between joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. And I think then it's understanding, you know, what is the true sense of, of value and understanding that in my core, you know, what is it that I'm looking for to bring wholeness, to bring a healthy perspective to life? and to live in a sense of balance. And that can be a tricky word to deal with, but people, when they have this sense, it's this internal sense of being unfulfilled, of being empty inside, of lacking meaning, lacking purpose, then you just see this almost this, this frantic pursuit of, of meaning and, and they'll pursue it with, you know, I need more, I need more stuff. I need a bigger job with a bigger paycheck. I need a bigger title. I need more power. I need, I need, uh, you know, more of this and more of that. I need to pursue these other pursuits in order to find my true meaning and purpose. Well, the reality is, is that in tr- until you truly take time to look inward and really become aware, self-aware of who you are as a person. And understand your self-motivations, understand what it is that drives you and motivates you, and you wrestle that to the ground fully and find your deep sense of meaning and purpose in life, then you're going to continue to pursue life to fill that, that sense of unfulfillment, unsatisfaction in your own soul until you wrestle that to the ground. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. I do, however, try to put myself into people out there some of Mm -hmm. them may think a lot about their purpose their big why and what gives them joy others might not do it because they are exactly in the place that you described earlier on where they are just in this i call it the hamster wheel you call it Mm -hmm. the treadmill of running 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 to achieve more to get more everything you've just mentioned and then to say let's stop and think about the why and do it alone perhaps oh that can be a really tough one, if not even impossible. Yeah. So, so what is it someone can do to start off the thought process? So one of the things that I talk about, so when I, when I wrote this book, um, I talk about it in there too, that I didn't want this book to just be another conceptual model that is like, okay, great. That's nice to think about. Great. Put it in the shelf. It'll collect dust and that's it. Hmm. I wanted it to be more of a how-to or a field manual. And so the entire third part of the book is dedicated to the how-to and in really getting practical exercises that people can work through to begin to think about their purpose and their why in life. And one of the first things that I encourage everybody to do is to write your story out. And I do mean actually write it out. And I don't mean the abridged version or the Cliff's Notes version or the bullet point version. I mean the full-on version of your story. And you know, people ask me all the time, you know, why? Why is that important? It's it's very difficult to understand who you are now without looking back at how did I get to where I am now? Because where I am right now is a culmination of the, of my history, of my story. You know, I didn't just wake up one day and, you know, I'm 49 years old. I just wake up one day and say, oh, I'm 49. How did I get here? I don't know. No, I do know how. It's been based on my story. And so writing your story helps you begin to understand the who. And you can't begin to understand your why until you first understand your who. So who am I? And so start with your story. 
And then second, you know, start with other tools to really begin to deep dive your who. I'm a huge fan of assessments, of personality assessments, of leadership assessments, with this big caveat of I'm a big fan of assessments as long as they are taught in such a way that it's a healthy, somebody that's trained in it, somebody that understands how to use them, because I've seen assessments used in very unhealthy ways. I've seen them used as, as weapons almost, and that's that irritates the life out of me when I see that. Yeah. And so, but really understanding again, how am I wired? What am I motivated by? What are my core motivations? What are my core preferences? You know, and there's tons of tools out there for that. And I give several in the book. And then it's just beginning then to answer some core questions. What is my legacy? What do I want my life to be? You know, if, and so one exercise that I use is, you know, fast forward to the end of your life. What is it that you most want people to remember you by? You know, think of three things that that you want people to remember you by. Look at that versus how you're living now. Will the path you're on now get you to that end desired state or the end of your story? If it won't, change your path. Start now. Change your path. You can't change the story of your life up till now, but you can put a period at the end of your story right now, turn the page, and start to write the ending that you desire, not the one you dread. And so it's just being, in, I, I keep using the word intentional, but it really is that it's just choosing to be intentional uh, rather than just continuing to stay on the hamster wheel or the, or the treadmill. That's it. And you know what? It encourages you right away to stop and pause and, and look at where you are right now. And you may well be joyful about it and satisfied and think on yep. a good path, but at yep. least you stop and have a look instead of just running through life that for me at least um, goes far too quickly anyway. And at some point you say, damn it, I should have done X and Y and Z instead of, you know, just hassling along. And, and yep. that for me is the scariest thing that I yeah, miss and- out on living. Yes, exactly. And, and I think that some people get scared by it. And I've had several conversations with people about that. I think they get scared by that th- that thought because I think they think that they're going to do this exercise or these exercises and they're going to have to have this revolutionary change to their life. And, and the reality is, is that I think that a lot of people, I'm not going to say most because I don't know, but I think a lot of people, they're fairly aligned with their story of their life. And so there may be more incremental changes and, and that's okay. But I think people have this general sense of, oh my gosh, I'm going to have these revolutionary changes and, you know, I, I'm going to, I, I just can't do that. And it's like, no, make an incremental change. You know, yeah. a 1% change now leads to, if you look at it over time, it's a, it's a huge change at the end. In your book, you speak about flourishing quite frequently. Flourishing mm-hmm. is the word and, and, that's the last topic we're going to delve into. What does flourishing mean for you? And give us a little bit of an insight into your flourishing model that you have been working on for quite a few years. So the model is uh, it's it's a, in the form of a triangle, which is not a not a unique uh, not a unique shape to use for uh, for a model for teaching. But uh, for me, it just made sense. Um, I would have loved to have a more unique shape, but hey, it's just not the way it came out. So five levels to it. Uh, the top level is flourishing, and I'll talk about that in a second. So we start at the bottom. The bottom level is diminishing, and what that means is is these are these are people that have uh, they're diminished. They've really kind of given up on life. They've just kind of for whatever reason uh, through it could be through circumstances, it could be through their own decision making, it could be a combination. But for whatever reason, they're just like you know what, life's not working, and I'm not trying. I'm just I just kind of give up. I quit. 
on life. The next level is surviving. So these are people that, you know, they're doing everything they can to just survive another day. You know, they don't necessarily think about the future. They don't think even much about next week. You know, they're thinking about, okay, how do, what do I need to do to make sure that I, you know, I have a job today. I have a paycheck. I have uh, food on my table and, um, you know, I have the basic necessities of life and what do I do then tomorrow and the next day and the next day to do, to basically get up and survive and, and then go to bed and get up and survive and go to bed. So those are survivors. The next is striving. Striving is, you know, at some point, sur some survivors say, wow, this is the hamster wheel. This is the rat race. This is the treadmill, whatever. I want to try to better myself. I want to try to do something different here. And so striving is beginning to this, I guess, the sense, this awakening of, I want to pursue a different life. And so you might have a pursuit of, you know, education or training or, you know, if they have a job, it's they're they're looking to expand their responsibilities. Maybe they volunteer for, you know, different projects or whatever it means. But for whatever reason, they're now motivated for, for something different in their life, to better their life. Next is thriving. So you have diminishing, surviving, striving, thriving. Thriving is you reach this level where you have almost like reached the top, right? You, you have some sense of, of fulfillment in your life. You um, are probably doing very well in your job. You may have reached, you know, senior leadership levels or whatever levels might be. You probably have some disposable income. You may be enjoying some of the luxuries that life has to offer. Uh, reputationally, you may, you know, probably considered an expert in what you do, maybe even sought after in what you do. And 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 from the outside looking in, you know, you say, oh my goodness, this person has just reached it, right? They they're, they have a, they have a vacation home, they take vacations, they have nice vacations, they have nice vehicles, they have this, they have this, and they seem happy with their life. And those are the people, quite frankly, that I have most written the book to, because these are the people that I began to work with time and time again, these leaders that I have talked about earlier in our conversation, for all intents and purposes, they were thriving. They had a thriving life. And what began to um, really motivate me to think about, you know, what is beyond thriving? In fact, the work, the first working title of this book was called Beyond Thriving, because I began asking myself, if thriving is the pinnacle, then why are these people unsatisfied? You know, why is it that you read about in the newspapers or online or whatever about, you know, that the, the billionaire that had some kind of bad behavior? You know, whether it's in his business or her business or yeah. they do something stupid and their marriage blows up. It's like if they were so satisfied with their lives, why were they pursuing more? And so the working title originally was Beyond Thriving, but when I test marketed, nobody got it. So <laughs> it is what it is. And so for the longest time, I had those four levels and I could not figure out what that fifth level was. And so I didn't want to write a book when I didn't have the answer to that. And I had this conversation probably four years ago, three, three or four years ago with a friend and he mentioned the word flourishing. And I'm like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Tell me about that. What do you mean by that? And he was talking about it in terms of human flourishing, like basically having the basic needs met food, shelter, clothing, those kinds of things. Uh, but I was captured by the word. And so I, I did an, in, I did an in-depth word study on the word flourishing and um, began to realize that this word is a beautiful word. You know, and it really means living committed to something that's bigger than you. Thinking about 
legacy? You know, what is what my legacy to be rather than focused on getting and my, 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 which is mm-hmm. literally, if you look at the definition of thriving, it's, it's inwardly focused. Mm-hmm. It's getting more of more of anything, more power, more things, more goods, more materialistic things, uh, more money. Um, it's a focus on me. Flourishing is a focus outward. I have been given, I'm going to give back. I have been invested in, I'm going to invest out. That was it. Literally, I had this like big aha. It's like, that's the word. So that's what I mean, flourishing. I really mean living beyond yourself, living for the greater good, living for something that is that is lasting versus something that we know is just going to pass away. Gives us a few happy moments. Yes, that's it. And there are four categories that you have outlined in your book. One is being passion, then calling, others' confirmation, gifted and skilled. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So it's an expansion upon the work that uh, Jim Collins did many years ago on the hedgehog concept, but thinking about, okay, so if, if my hedgehog or what I do really well is, is a culmination of a few of these, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be flourishing. And so when I began to play with this model and begin to really understand, okay, what is flourishing all about? Well, it's, it's rooted in purpose and meaning living life intentionally but really, how do I consistently live committed to flourishing? And it literally, it was just a, doing a lot of research and a lot of time putting it together. And I call it this collision, the collision of the four that you just talked about. You know, what am I passionate about in life? What am I really, truly passionate about? And answering that question, it doesn't be one thing. It could be three, it could be four, it could be five. Mm-hmm. You know, what am I passionate about? Second is what am I good at doing? What am I really gifted at doing? And it's okay to say, hey, you know what? I'm really good at this. It's also okay to say, hey, I'm really not good at that. And it's okay. And I, because now you're getting honest with yourself. I think many times people, they try to do the, the, the round peg in the square hole kind of thing yeah. all the time. And uh, because they're trying to get, trying to get more money, trying to get a bigger job, bigger title, whatever. And they promote themselves or they get promoted right out of their core competency or competencies. You know, it, and, and then uh, they can't figure out why they're frustrated, they're anxious, they're worried, and their bosses are no longer happy with them. You know, they were happy with them at this level, and it's like, oh, but I got to, ha- I got to be at this level to be happy. And so they go up a level, and they're promoted right out of what they can do. And so it's really being honest about what I'm good at doing. Third is. How do people say you contribute value to them and to others? And that's very important because that's that's external affirmation of what other people are saying you're good at doing. You know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I had I had many people tell me more than once, you know, listen, you're really good at this. You should go do this on your own, man. And this is when I was doing it when I was uh, in private equity still. Unfortunately, fortunately, I don't know what word you want to use, but it's like, I guess I heard it one too many times and I believed it and I did it. Anyway, and then the uh, the fourth one is uh, what are you called to do? And and the word calling, uh, this is an add-on to what Jim Collins, his work, but the word calling, I think, is extremely important. And it's also can be very confusing because it's like, okay, so what am I called to do? And the way I define that in the book is really this inner sense of this is what I was created to do. This is my purpose. This is why I'm here. You know, in, in in talking to people, you know, you talk to people all the time, Kathleen. You know, what did you want to be as a kid? You know, oh, I wanted to be a firefighter. I wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to I wanted to be an architect, or I wanted to be an engineer, or whatever. Well, there's something that's inside of I believe each person that you have this sense of, you know, I would be truly fulfilled 
if I was doing this with my life. And then at some point along the way, we drift away from those, um, those dreams, if you will, of this is what I wanted to be since I was five years old. And here I am, and I'm, I'm stuck in an eight to five job sitting in a cubicle all day. And I really wanted to be a firefighter. Why didn't I do that? Well, sometimes it's physical. I get that. Sometimes it's um, other reasons, but many times it's just because we gave up on the dream. Yeah. And here's the question to everybody, right? What's stopping you to pursue that dream now? Absolutely. Even if it's outside of your eight to four job or eight to five job. Yep. Right. That there, there's always something we can do for the reasons you've mentioned. We may not be able to do exactly that, but you know, what direction can we take? And, and therefore, the question I want to leave the listeners with is where do you see yourself on the scale that Matt described to us? The surviving, the striving, the thriving, flourishing, even. Where are you? And be truly honest to yourself. And where do you want to be? So what steps can you take and start with one step, as you mentioned earlier on, that can take you more and more towards the flourishing stage? Mm. Yes. Oh, man, I feel we have talked about a lot here today and could <laughs> probably talk for much longer. One last or final piece of advice you want to leave with the listeners. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> be intentional. Live life intentionally. I love what you just said. Pick one thing, you know, take a small step. You don't have to take a huge step. You don't take 50 steps. Take one step today to live life more intentionally today than you did yesterday. Where can people find out more about you? So uh, my website is uh, www.uniquelynormal. It's uh, all together, U-N-I-Q-U-E-L-Y-N-O-R-M-A-L, uniquelynormal.com. My email is matt, M-A-T-T, at uniquelynormal.com. My book is on Amazon, and uh, I'm also on LinkedIn under Matthew Lesser. So uh, feel free to uh, look. If you go on my website, too, you'll see my, my email there as well. So feel free to reach out uh, any way you'd like. Thank you so, so much. Absolutely. And we're going to share all of the links, obviously, in the show notes. So you have them there as well. And I just want to say thank you so, so much. Never, ever has anybody gotten me to goosebumps, laughter, near tears, and very emotional sensations that uh, just took me literally through a kind of beautiful roller coaster here. So thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this time, Kathleen. It's wonderful being with you. A big shout out to Tiffany, uh, Matthew's <laughs> wife. I think she deserves that. Um, has been your biggest cheerleader here standing behind you and in front Absolutely. of you and to your side. Absolutely. And to all of you out there, thank you so much for listening. Let us know, as always, what you find most useful, what resonated with you. And most importantly, get in touch with Matthew. I mean, if you want to experience everything I've experienced here and some tremendous change, then he is the man for you. Let him know, have a chat and talk about how he can help you as well. Have a wonderful remaining week and speak to you very soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. 
please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.